Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number six. Can you believe it? Episode number six of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. We have a lot to talk about today as the Steve Cohen news keeps picking up. A familiar face might be coming back. And my buddy over here, my co-host, Joe DeMeo, has to be feeling pretty good about his Cowboys winning. Sandy Alderson may be coming back. And Edwin Diaz uh, sinking that ERA a little bit lower each game. So, Joe, what's going on, man? How are we? I'm doing great, Connor. How are we doing? I, I can't complain. Listen, I, I I expected my Jets to be terrible, so I uh, I'm not. I don't have any football blues to carry into our baseball show over here, and, and I have to say, you know, sure it might be disappointing that the Mets have uh, kind of sunk themselves out of this expanded postseason playoff format, but I have to admit the offseason hype, the offseason buzz, the rumors, everything that comes with Steve Cohen purchasing this team personally has me very excited. Oh, me too, for sure. And it's a little different this offseason. I mean, every year that the Mets don't make the playoffs, which, you know, it's been widely reported 12 of the last 14 years they have not. Every year that they don't, they don't make the playoffs, it's always look to next year. There's always next year. But next year is going to be different this time. Next year is going to have a new owner, potentially a new general manager, potentially a new president of baseball operations. This is going to be the first time when you could say there is next year and actually have legitimate hope for next year. And, you know, that's a new ownership that I never honestly thought was going to happen. And, you know, we're right on the precipice of, Steve Cohen really taking over and stuff is starting to leak now about Sandy Alderson, certainly, as you mentioned, and as you mentioned first, that So Mets podcast had Sandy Alderson coming back to the Mets in some kind of role before all everyone else on the mainstream media. Uh, so props to you for that, Connor. And yeah, no, I think times are changing and it's very exciting. Well, thank you. Number one. And it, it was weird for me to, uh, to, drop some baseball news, and, and we'll see what kind of role Sandy comes back in. But the point is, there's a big connection with him and Steve Cohen. I think because of the timing of this sale, you know, something that you have walked the audience through, you've walked me through, is that, you know, a complete transition uh, is not the easiest thing to do. So we're not positive what will become of Brody Van Wagenen or Luis Rojas after or during this offseason where you could see some kind of advisory role come into play, and that's why a guy like Sandy makes so much sense. And we're going to use this show today to answer a lot of your questions. We have some great questions in the rundown. We've been closing out every show with two to three, but this is a good chance for us to get through more than that. Is There's just simply not a ton to talk about on the field right now, and we will touch on a few things, but there's just a lot going on with the organization as a whole. 
And I think something that was nice to see, or at least I personally enjoyed it, was when the Sandy news dropped, it felt actually quite positive. And, and I don't know if that's some recency bias from bad Brody moves. I don't know if that's because a lot of Sandy's draft picks make up the core of this impressive offense right now, and, and even some of the pitching, of course, too, but a lot of this impressive young offense right now. I think, you know, and I was guilty of this too at the time, and it was probably more of a money reason that was out of his hands. I didn't appreciate Sandy enough when he was running this baseball team. And I think, number one, they did a lot of good things um, through the draft. You know, things that did, were they were not restrained by budgetary concerns all the time. And he really didn't have a ton of free agency buying power where the man knows baseball. And the man knows how to set up baseball cores of a franchise and I think him, whether it's an advisory role over Van Wagner, whether it's an advisory role over who they need to hire, because let's be real, the, he's getting up there in age. This is not a forever thing for him. This is a transition. Uh, you know, he's tight with Steve Cohen. I'm going to help get the baseball operations right. You don't have Jeff Wilpon in that freaking role anymore. My God. What was your initial reaction and also your overall reaction after letting this Sandy News you know, not from me, but from baseball media kind of confirming what I had said, that he will be back in some kind of role. So I'm actually pretty excited about it. And let's be clear, as you said, Sandy knows what he's doing. Sandy Alderson is a borderline Hall of Fame caliber executive. You know, Moneyball was founded by Sandy Alderson. Billy Bean gets all the credit in the book and Brad Pitt in the movie, but he got his premises from Sandy Alderson. So Sandy is analytically based in his decision making for sure and i think a lot of what happens is when a gm goes away you are excited for a new change a new start and then as things maybe fall apart a little bit with the next one you reminisce i mean do you remember during the sandy era how many times i saw people tweeting sandy's just prospering off of omar's guys and now it's you know, anything that's good on the Mets currently, it's not because of Brody. It's because he's prospering off of Sandy's <laughs> guys. So I think it's just kind of the cycle. I don't think um, we will have quite that cycle with the next GM that will be prospering off of Brody's guys necessarily. But no, I'm excited about adding Sandy Alderson and what, and what that means going forward. I'm not sure. Uh, I think with depending on his role. I think it's going to be, like you said, a bit of an advisory role. I don't have the expectation that Sandy Allerson wants to be the president of baseball operations anymore, doesn't want to be the general manager of a baseball team anymore. He, he's an older guy. He certainly had his health complications, which it sounds like are under control, which I'm very glad to hear certainly about that. But no, adding Sandy, it's, it's adding a, a, a really smart voice, seasoned voice, one that Steve Cohen trusts. Like you said, maybe it's going to be to, hey, Sandy, I want you to help me pick who the next GM or president of baseball operations is. You know, Cohen has the money where he could pursue big names if they are attainable. So maybe he goes, Sandy, if I told you money was not an object, who would you want to run the baseball operations? Anyone in the league, let me know and I'll try to go buy them and see if that works. Maybe that's, you know, part of the philosophy or... You know, as we've mentioned, maybe Brody's looking for one of these young guys, like the next high in bloom, and say, Sandy, I need you to show 
this guy, the ropes, uh, you know, a veteran on how to run a baseball front office and, you know, groom him. And then maybe you have the next great general manager for the next 20 years rather than taking, you know, someone else's general manager. And can I just say, thank God we are sitting here talking about Steve Cohen, Sandy Alderson, big potential names that can come in and start helping with the baseball operations. After reading, and I apologize, I don't know who to credit it to. It might have been the New York Post, but that part of the A-Rod potential proposal was to keep Jeff Wilpon in a role with this team. I mean, what a sham. The entire thing. I need to come out and say that. That one, it's it's been very clear from the beginning, all of the leaks to keep A-Rod involved in this thing. It's been very obvious where that's coming from. And the guy, one of the biggest problems with this entire franchise has been Jeff Wilpon. The fact that that was a wrinkle in that potential deal, I don't, I'm glad that we don't even have to discuss it, but I need to get out and say what an absolute joke that entire thing would have been. The... The bid, you know, as more details are coming out, everything about this bid seemingly was a joke. A, you know, A Rod. Then they weren't sure about who would be in power, and they're like, "If we say J Lo is in power, will that help us?" Well, you know what really would have helped if you didn't have to take an additional five hundred million dollars of debt out on the Mets, <laughs> and then say, "Oh, Jeff Wilpon, the guy that, you know, his family is not too happy with at the moment." He's a clown. Uh, you could yeah, it. yeah, clown. Jeff Wilpon, straight up clown. Like, there's no, there was no redeeming qualities to this bid, and their bid was not in the same zip code as Steve Cohen's. <laughs> when you account for the five hundred million dollars of debt, sure, like on paper, it's they bid two point three and he bid two point four five. So just take five hundred million dollars away from the two point three. So they really bid more like one eight maybe, and they had. 10 people in this investment group. Honestly, I don't know if MLB would have improved that. Like, I don't know if MLB would have approved A-Rod with his past, a huge group, $500 million more of debt, in addition to the debt that Steve Cohen's taking on. And, you know, we'll get to SNY at some point. And I was stunned when I saw those figures today. Like, yeah, that, that would have been an absolute mess of an ownership. So, Thank you, Steve Cohen. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm glad that we have moved on from the A-Rod discussion. But let's get into some questions here because you guys sent some awesome stuff our way. And the first one is from at BuffaloMeth74. As far as the farm system goes, realistically, how far away are quality starting pitchers from coming up? Do the Mets have any starters coming soon, or will they have to sign a few starting pitchers this offseason? I know Brody has traded away a few. Thanks, love the pod. What do you think there, Joe? To his point, uh, Anthony Kay, Justin Dunn, potentially Kevin Smith. I mean, those are three right near uh, major major league ready or current major league pitchers that the Mets could have used for rotation depth. Uh, There's not really much. I mean, to be totally honest, I think Thomas Zapucky, if he could get healthy, he could be an intriguing arm in 2021. JT Ginn, uh, in theory, the second round pick from this year, in theory, will be on a quicker track, but he had Tommy John surgery, so he may not start his big league career until June-ish of next year. Uh, Matt Allen got to pitch an A ball. Like, yeah, there's 
there is not much. So they're going to have to make moves through free agency, trade, get creative. Yeah, there's as far as the farm system and arms, I like some of the arms. You know, Josh Wolf is super exciting. A uh, guy like Junior Santos is exciting. It's just none of these guys are ready or, frankly, even close to ready to impacting the big league team. That yeah, that's what I, I know is that all of the pitchers that are listed as their you know in their top ten prospects, top twenty prospects, they're just very far away. Is what it is, and I think to answer the last part of Buffalo Mets's question here, is that they're gonna have to go out and and buy starting pitching, right? Like we know Jacob Degrom is is Jacob Degrom. That's not a problem. David Peterson has been really good for a rookie this year, and you could pencil him in next year. I don't know what they're going to do with Seth Lugo. I, I That's a longer conversation, and, and kudos to you. I think you've been right about that for a long time, that he's a dominant reliever, and that's what he should have been left as. And I know it's hard to just get on a few bad starts here or there, but we just don't know what direction they're going to go with him. So you pencil in DeGrom. You pencil in Peterson. Noah Syndergaard wants to be back for the start of the season there's no guarantee but Syndergaard will be a part of this rotation absolutely and then it's a lot of what ifs like I don't think they're going to run it back with Steven Matz I don't think they're going to bring back Rick Porcello or Michael Waka and even if you did want any of those things you're not betting on them for anything are you going to go out and, and make a big bid for a Trevor Bauer are you going to have a conversation with Marcus Stroman and say, hey, what can we do to keep you here for maybe two on a two-year deal? The Mets have to add starting pitching. There's not a ton of it. There's often not necessarily a ton of it even on the trade market when free agency is bare. So I, I look at this and go, we would love to see them sign one, and then you're going to have to piece together a rotation. But it, the point is, it, it's going to be a concern over these next two years for the New York Mets. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There's really not a ton in free agency to get too excited about. But yeah, they're going to have to build the rotation some way, whether it's, you know, f finding some like this year's Rick Porcello or Michael Waka for a, for a fifth spot and hopefully get better results. Uh, Steven Matz has to be a non-tender candidate. I, I can't imagine you giving him a big raise in arbitration. I, I could be wrong, but like to me, he screams arbitration. Uh, non-tender but Seth Lugo you know it's he's showing he's a solid starter and he's a great reliever they may by numbers have no choice but to keep him as a starter it really depends how the offseason goes so the rotation is going to be really tough next year and you know certainly they they need to figure out a way to do it and it's going to cost them some money maybe it costs them some prospects and you know maybe there's a team that needs to shed some salary this offseason because we, we don't really talk about this. There's a lot of expectation that the free agent market's going to be slower this winter because of how much money is being lost across the game from no fans and things like that. Does that make the ability to take on a player with some salary from another team at a lower cost? Is that more palatable now? So I'm very interested to see how they address it, but the rotation has to be one of the very, very top priorities for the Mets this offseason. Without a doubt. It is something that we're going to cover a lot. There's a lot of ways they can go about it. It's not just Trevor Bauer or bust. It's not just bring back Stroman or bust. It's going to be, hey, maybe sign a handful of guys that you hope 
can fill the the fifth spot and, and try to find a number two or three on the trade market. And I'll wrap it up with this because I'm very curious your take on this because he, he's really just come out of nowhere this year. What is Erasmo Ramirez right now for this? <laughs> like, is this a fluke or is he somebody that we have to say, hey, he at least deserves to compete for a fifth spot in, in spring training? So Erasmo's pitched nice this year. You know, I, I give him credit. He's bailed the Mets out a bunch, but, you know, he's the kind of guy that likely is going to have to settle for a minor league deal again based on his history. Uh, maybe he gets a major league deal at a million bucks or something small like that. Maybe that's a guy you consider bringing back. You know, like you said, he's pitched he's pitched well this year. Uh, I don't know if he's someone I'd be, like, excited about being the fifth starter, but... Maybe he's a swingman kind of guy, and you say, you know, we'll we'll give you a big league deal one year, a million bucks, and if he stinks up spring training, a million bucks, you just cut him, right? So, like, that's okay. But, you know, he's a guy that you might as well explore bringing back. He's done a good job for this team. All right, this next question from at KevNYFan. With Brody looking like he's a goner, do you think we'll keep Adam Gutridge? He's kind of under the radar, but he seems good after what I read. Part two of the question is, if Sandy comes, I hope Paul Podesta comes as well. He would be a big add, in my opinion. If Brody's a goner, anyone that Brody brought in should certainly be afraid for their jobs. Like You're going to bring it. So if they, let's, let's play along with his situation here and say Brody is fired. If Brody is fired, there's going to be a new GM slash president of baseball operations, whatever the title is, the new head of baseball operations. That person's going to come in and want their people. Do If they hire whoever, do, does that person like Adam Gutridge? Do they know Adam Gutridge? Do they want to work with Adam Gutridge? We, we don't know. So I would say, given he was a Brody guy, if Brody's gone, I, I'd be a little concerned if I were Adam Gutridge. Uh, if not now, certainly in, in the near term for my job. Uh, as, as far as Paul DiBodesta goes, it's an enticing idea. One of the weirder things to happen to the Mets, and there is a ton of weird things that happens to the Mets, is to have one of their vice presidents leave, not to go to another team to be a GM or, or be a head of base operations. The dude left for another sport. He went to the NFL for the Cleveland Browns. He left the Mets for the Browns. I mean, <laughs> it was... Definitely bold of him, uh, but if if they want to bring him back, I tweeted this yesterday. I'd be really interested because, you know, De Podesta, when he was here under Sandy, he really ran the scouting department, which did a great job. But I like who's running the scouting department now. I don't – if you bring De Podesta back, what would be really interesting to me is if, if you're going to build an expansive analytics team like I'm hoping – and certainly there's some level of expectation that will occur. I'd love for DPS to come in and run an analytics team. I mean, analytics is really where he started, and he, he grew from there, and he's been doing some analytics work for the Browns. If he comes in, run an analytics team, give me 8 to 10 people on an analytics team run by Paul DePodesta, that's pretty enticing. But the one the one caution that I have is, it's cool to bring back Sandy. It's cool to bring back Omar Minaya when they did. But you don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. And you don't want to bring back 
too many people from past regimes because, you know, give credit to Sandy where it's due. The core, a lot of the core is based on what he did and he did bring them to a World Series. But I don't want to just recreate that front office and just say we have a new owner with the same exact old front office. You know, you want new blood with new ideas. But DePodest is an enticing guy. If, if he's interested in coming back to baseball, like a role like that intrigues me. Yeah, that's the question. You know, the Browns, he's been there for a while now. He's their chief strategy officer. And for people that have seen Moneyball, the Jonah Hill character is based on Dee Podesta. That's who we're talking about. So uh, he's somebody that's had a wild career. He's somebody that is known as forward thinking. Um, there would obviously be connections there, I think, you know, with Alderson returning. But there has definitely been some comfort there with the Browns because if, if, you, if you last in any football organization's front office for half a decade, um, you're valued and, and you're doing something right. So it, it would be... It's an interesting name to bring up. It's just we don't know if he really has any interest in, in coming back to baseball. So, all right, this next question from Goodfella PJM: Will David Wright have an increased role in the organization under Cohen ownership? I don't think so. I don't think David really wants an increased role. I think he likes what he is. He's technically like a special assistant to the GM. Basically, it's just like, yeah, he's around and – when he when they want his opinion, they ask for it. Uh, he's certainly an ambassador for the Mets, and I think it's important to keep him involved in some facet because he's the captain. Like he, you don't want to just you know erase him. But I don't think David Wright really has aspirations. I I know everyone always tries to say like David Wright for manager or David Wright for like important front office job. Like I think David Wright's cool just being a family dude like stays home with his family and, you know, flies out here and there to make appearances on behalf of the Mets, uh, answer some phone calls. If they ask him his opinion on a player, he gives it. Like, I think he's perfectly content in the role he, he's in. I don't, I don't envision David Wright wanting anything more than what he has. I would say the same thing. I, I think, you know, obviously this is a father of, of young kids. He obviously enjoys being a family man. Working in sports, I mean, it's different in a front. Like, the role he has now, and it's great he's around the Mets. And let's not forget, because I, I root for teams that are terrible at this. Let me say it right now. The Rangers in hockey, not at all. They're great with this. But the Knicks and the Jets are horrible with their alumni and relations. So it's good that the Mets have kept a good relationship with David Wright. It's better that a Met fan is buying the Mets because I think that will not be an issue anymore. I think Steve Cohen will put it, and this is me assuming, which can be dangerous, but sorry for being optimistic for once in my life about my baseball team. I think Steve Cohen will do a good job with the Mets alumni base, and, and I think he will you know, make sure guys are involved that want to be involved. And I think for David, you know, just to follow up on what you said, Joe, I don't really see that interest being there right now. You know, maybe when his kids, you know, go off to college or maybe he wants to be back in the dugout. We don't know those things. Maybe he does want to manage. But right now, it's it's pretty evident that he's, he's you know, not in the day-to-day -day grind that is baseball. Sports are a grind, pro sports. It's an amazing opportunity if you can work in them. But it, there are sacrifices across the board, starting with travel. 
number one. So I think it's going to be a little while before we see David, um, you know, seriously considering a coaching role or a a baseball operations role that requires him to to be uh, nonstop with the Mets. So this next one from Dam Supa, and I'm really curious to get your your thoughts on this, Joe, because I know. Um, you know, we, it's some, it was a big emphasis of our last episode, and it's, it's going to be a big talking point with the Mets the next couple of months, maybe even the next year. Thoughts on Brian Cashman or Theo Epstein in Queens? Intrigued? I mean, you're talking about two of the better minds in baseball. How, how could you not be intrigued? Uh, but Brian Cashman is a very, very loyal guy to the Steinbrenners, and they've been very loyal to him for a long time. Uh, so you'd have to, and you know, it's like this in football, I believe as well, where if you're going to be luring a front office person from another team without getting permission, you have to offer a advanced role. So you can't just ask an assistant GM to just become your assistant GM. The organization needs to okay it, uh, or he, you know, Sometimes there's compensation, very rarely, but certainly I'm not giving up any compensation for any front office person, so let's forget about that. But as far as Cashman goes, I believe he's just the general manager of the Yankees. I don't think he's the president of baseball operations. Uh, So technically, you could offer him president of baseball operations and oodles of money, but I don't know if Brian Cashman would leave the Yankees for anything, honestly. I think... I think he's in that job for the long term. The Steinbrenners love him. He loves the Steinbrenners. I don't know there. Epstein, though, that's intriguing. You won't really be able to get him now, I don't think, uh, because he is the president of baseball operations for the Cubs. So he's at that role. There's really not much better you could offer. But Epstein only has one year left on his deal, and they have a young executive by the name of Jason McLeod that I think they might want to have the long-term reigns there so if you look at this year as kind of a transitional year within the front office and maybe have an eye on Theo Epstein next year that could be interesting and you know Theo could really solidify his hall of fame career if he were to hit the third of the big you know the big markets he won a world series in Boston He won a World Series in Chicago, which, frankly, winning a World Series with the Cubs in over 100 years should automatically be his ticket to Cooperstown, and, you know, it probably is. But I wonder if he'd be intrigued at the idea of trying to win in Boston, trying to win in Chicago, and then trying to win in New York. That's definitely definitely interesting. I think that might be more of a next-year thing. Um, But, yeah, no, if— if they, I'm interested in any major name that you could think of. If you could think of one, I'm probably fairly intrigued. And Cashman and Epstein, if either had interest, I'd be interested. Well, Theo, I think, has more of a reputation as a guy that's willing to move, that gets excited at new opportunities. I mean, Theo is 46 years old, so this is not a, an old exec by any means. He's an accomplished one. Now, just to kind of you know, the whole, to eliminate the Cashman discussion, right? This guy interned with the Yankees in 86. And, and a lot of executives in sports are not, not all, but a lot are not, they're not fans, right? They're not like, oh, I came to so-and-so because I, I 
my life dream is to build this. They just care about what they do, and they're willing to put aside the fan aspect and move on for better opportunities. I think Cashman is different where this guy has, like, Yankees in his blood, right? He interned with the team in 86. He's really a great story. And honestly, not to, like, you know, make this all a great Yankees thing, but, like, Cashman, is, like, as somebody like me that loves – and same with you, Joe. You're a baseball personnel guy. I'm a football personnel guy. Like, Cashman's a great story, honestly. Like, from intern to general manager and, and senior vice president of the New York Yankees. Like, that – he really is, and I don't. I agree. He's loyal. I just don't see that one being something that personally interests him. Now, Epstein is a different conversation in my eyes. I think you nailed it. This guy built a winner in Boston. He built a winner with the Cubs, and I think he's somebody that gets a little wide-eyed at big market teams that have not been the representation of consistent success. And he likes the, probably enjoys being labeled as the dude, right? Like the the genius, the baseball franchise building god. And you would not be able to get a Theo Epstein with a Wilpon-owned team. Wow, when you have, because a guy like Epstein is smart enough to come in and say, okay, if I take this job, what resources do I have to make sure it's done the right way? What is my budget in free agency? What is my budget in the scouting department? How are we going to operate with the MLB draft? How are we going to operate with trades? Do I have the freedom to work on the fly like this? With Steve Cohen, the answer is yes to all of those things. With the Wilpons, the answer was no to all of those things. That's why you can dream big with a guy like Theo Epstein and why I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and rule it out. Like, am I saying the Mets will probably get Theo Epstein? No. I mean, he has a good thing going with the Cubs and all that stuff. But I think it's it's very much on the table, at least. Yeah, like you said, he's a challenge-oriented guy. I mean, he he was the Red Sox general manager at a younger age than I currently am. <laughs> and I'm only 32. So, like, he was... He became the Red Sox GM at a young age and took on the challenge of a team that hadn't won a World Series since 1918 or whatever it was that in the teens or whatever it was but he took on the Red Sox who hadn't won it all that time and made it happen then he decided all right I'm ready for my next challenge I did what I had to do I made Boston relevant I gave them some sustained success what's next the Cubs okay they haven't won in 100 years that sounds like another challenge for me like I think Theo embraces challenge so I wouldn't be surprised if he were interested in in the Mets, especially, like you said, if Steve Cohen's going to tell him you have money to operate, you have flexibility to make trades, you have money to build up the farm system, that could be something that entices Theo because he could look at the Mets as his next challenge to overcome. Uh, and I find it interesting that he's a year out and hasn't signed a new deal with the Cubs. Typically in baseball, especially with executives, they don't often let you get to the last year of your deal especially premium ones they when you have two years left they're like all right ready to just tag on another three or four years to this thing and you just do it under the radar no one really notices and you know it just you just keep on going with your thing i find it interesting that he's a year left and nothing has been done so if nothing happens with him this offseason in the cubs i think it, it bears watching going forward and joel sherman made some great points in the post here uh, he said 
you know, Epstein has been vocal that his lifespan in any baseball exec job is 10 years. He's in year nine right now. So maybe there is some fatigue there with the Cubs. He's owed $10 million on the on the last year of his deal. And everybody knows baseball operations will take a hit from a budget problem around the league. And it, would it shock anyone if the Cubs, you know, look at that and go, okay, like, this is a guy that might be looking to move on anyway. We're going to save some money here. He's been great for us, but it's time to go in a different direction. So it's realistic. You know, like I said, I feel Cashman isn't. I, I think Epstein very much is, and it kind of aligns with, you know, some of the plans the Mets have, right? Like, say you keep Brody for one more year, but you put Sandy above him. Then after the year, you move on from Brody, and Sandy is the guy, you know, trying to bring Epstein in. It, it all aligns itself. Even if you didn't keep Brody, it's the same timeline. So, great question. It's something to watch. I, If I was picking anyone, it would be Theo Epstein. Um, I would be very excited about that. So, next question from at Heedle. For Joe, have you started looking at next year's draft class at all? With it looking like the draft order will be based solely off the 2020 record and the Mets in prime position for a top pick, who are some guys you think would be a good fit? So I'm very thankful to talk about the 2020 draft order as Jeff Jeff Passan over at ESPN reported today that MLB is planning on making the draft order just based on the 2020 record, which as crazy as it sounds, that has certainly not been widely reported. There's been some expectation that they were going to do some formula based on 2019 and 2020 and I was rolling my eyes every time I read someone saying that because we're going to have a World Series champion this year. We're going to have two MVPs. We're going to have two Cy Youngs, two Rookies of the Year, and all gold gloves, silver sluggers, all these things, which makes this season legitimate. But the draft order, oddly, was going to be the only thing that's different. I, I think it legitimizes the 60-game season as something by doing it this way. Um, but as far as studying, not a ton. Like, I usually really get into it January, February. You know, I watched a perfect game All-American Classic, but this past season was canceled for almost everyone. You know, people had almost no starts, so there's less information to go off and it's old information but you know certainly I could talk about some of the top players in the class Kumar Rocker uh, right-handed pitcher from Vanderbilt is the probable number one pick Uh, big dude big time stuff number one type starter upside and uh, he's probably gonna end up with Pittsburgh the Pirates are very likely gonna end up with the first pick a couple others Jack Leiter the son of Al Leiter also from Vanderbilt, which is pretty crazy that it's possible that the two best prospects of the 2021 draft are the top two pitchers in the Vanderbilt rotation. It's absurd. Vanderbilt's an absolute house. Uh, Adrian Del Castillo, the catcher out of the University of Miami. Yeah, everyone always says the Mets need to draft a catcher. I don't know what they need to, but Adrian Del Castillo is the real deal. Uh, he could play behind the plate. He hits for average, hits for power. He's exciting. And then on the high school end, there's two shortstops, uh, Brady House from Georgia and Jordan Lawler from Texas. 
Jordan Lawler was the MVP of the Perfect Game All All American Classic. These are two super super toolsy shortstops in the light of Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, from a couple years ago who went number two overall to the Royals. You know those are those are some of the really big ones. Uh, Andrew Painter, uh, right-handed pitcher from Florida who also committed to Florida and reminds a lot of people of Matt Allen that who the Mets drafted. You know he's got the pro body already. He's got the pro stuff already. He's not. Your 6'4", 180-pound projectable body that's going to grow into more velocity. He's basically got a big league body right now. Uh, so it, it seems like it's going to be a pretty good draft class. But, you know, I really get into the prospects really hard more around, you know, shortly after the new year once baseball's about to get started up with colleges and, and high school. And then obviously I'm full bore, so when the draft happens – this year, this coming year, it's going to be during the All-Star break. So the draft's getting pushed back from the beginning of June to July. So that that's certainly a change. But, you know, certainly that So Mets podcast will have some of the best draft coverage that you're going to find out there, not just on Mets podcast, but I, I believe in any podcast. <laughs> there'll there'll be, there'll be few, few that match us. So I can't you know, wait certainly to be... stay tuned. This will be my first year, like, fully ingrained in it. And I actually enjoy that it's pushed back because that means after the NFL draft, I can just listen to you and dive headfirst into this draft class. And like you said, I mean, maybe I'm just being hopeful here. This will probably be the highest the Mets pick in a while. That's my two cents. Well, but, the la- yeah, the la- yeah, the last time they picked really high was Jared Kalnick at number six. That was sad. Uh, but if the season Good ended times. today— if the season ended today, they would pick 11th. You know, as of this recording, the Mets haven't played. They play in a couple hours. But as of now, you know, they have six games left. Eh, one in five, oh and six. You know, I don't like the route to lose, but, we'll get you know, the maybe, win. yeah, get the Grama win. So we'll go one in five the rest of the way. And then maybe that can push them to like eight, nine. I'd like to get within the top 10. That'd be pretty fun. I'm, I'm all the way for it. But all right, this last question uh, from a pretty awesome mailbag, honestly, the listeners of this show. I know we have a, a small but ever-growing audience that we truly appreciate, and, and we're going to have some pretty awesome stuff for you guys during what's going to be an exciting offseason. Uh, from DT Web 313 it's a two-parter. Cohen's rumored interest in S and Y, do you think that helps his approval chances with other owners given how lucrative the RSNs are? And the second part is David Stearns. Chances he comes home to be the team's GM. Feel like he's my number one preferred candidate to take over to the job if Brody goes. I'll I'll hit the second part first because I think that's a little quicker. And clearly he's a listener because I brought up David Stearns. And Absolutely, that was the yeah. first time I heard that name was from yeah. you. I think two shows ago you you broke down you know what he would bring to the table. Yeah, David Stearns is a very exciting guy. I mean, he is the president of baseball operations in Milwaukee, but I have heard that David Stearns' kind of dream job is to run the Mets. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. But, you know, that's that's a guy that I would keep an eye on as one of the options to, to, think, to think big. You know, it's not quite Theo Epstein big, but... David Stearns is a big-time executive, and if the Mets got him to run baseball operations, that that would be pretty awesome. Uh, as far as the interest in SNY, and I don't think it means anything to his approval. 
at all. I don't, I don't think there's any correlation between the two. I think I don't think he could get SNY until he's approved. So I don't think it re- it really matters. But a report came out today. I, I believe he's with Yes Network and Forbes Money, um, saying that after the sale is closed, so that means approval. Steve Cohen will have a 30-day exclusive window to buy SNY, which was pretty interesting to me because I I knew you know Steve Cohen was gonna get SNY. He wasn't buying the team to let someone else run the sports network. I didn't know how quick it would be. I I didn't know if it would be a year, two years, something like that. It sounds like it might just be a couple months, and he's just gonna end up with everything. But what? Steve Cohen really did, and I think was very smart of him in this process, was he played nice with the Wilpons, and he said, I'm not going to ask for anything extra. I'm just going to you know, play along with everything they want, however they want it, because I want to get the team. And then once I get the team, I have the money to get everything else if I really want it. Like that 5% that Sterling Equities kept, I'm sure at some point in time, Steve will be like, guys, come on. Just tell me how much it is, and like I, I want that five percent too. <laughs> so like it was inevitable that he was going to get SNY. But what's really interesting is the debt to equity ratio. SNY is being valued at a billion dollars. Eight hundred and fifty million dollars of it is debt that the Wilpons borrowed from SNY to cover their losses everywhere else. Madoff really messed up the Wilpons, and COVID certainly crippled them. But that is an insane level of debt. And uh, Joe Paterno from AMNY, who was the guy that originally reported Steve Cohen was signing the paperwork last Monday, I think it was, and he reported the date, this was when it was happening, and that's when it happened. He is saying that Steve Cohen was originally willing to bid $2 billion for SNY, but was told at the time in June or so that SNY was not for sale. And if SNY is now for sale and valued at a billion dollars, are the Wilpons costing themselves a billion dollars? It's unfathomable. It's I mean, that's some un- of the worst. It's almost business. unbelievable. That's some of the worst business goings i've ever seen in the united states in recent years like in that, sports obviously yeah yeah horrendous I, I i i don't i don't understand you know i'm not sure if that two billion's true i'm just you know i'm citing a guy that spotted one thing and you know maybe he's spot on on a second thing but regardless steve cohen's gonna own sny and it, it came out too that he is gonna own syracuse st Lucie, and brooklyn the for minor league affiliates I had some questions about Brooklyn because Brooklyn was an entity of Sterling Equities and not the Mets. So I didn't know if they would be included in the sale. But John Heyman says they are, so John's pretty reliable. So I think Steve Cohen bought that too. Like, he was going to get everything. Like, he's he's not buying into this team to let the Wilpons or anybody else run something ma- certainly as major as a regional sports network. And... I don't, I don't think MLB would want anyone but Steve Cohen to own the regional sports network because why would they want some outsider running the network for you know one of their one of their clubs? I think it was inevitable they was gonna get S and Y and it seems like it might be quicker than we expected and 
I don't know what kind of changes that's going to mean for anything at SNY. Uh, people are tweeting me today asking about programming. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's yeah. really going to be much change there at all. But Steve Cohen is, you know, opening his umbrella and all the Met stuff is going to fall under it. And the black cloud of the Wilpons is going to float away. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, you know, I won't get into the specifics of it, but money being infused into SNY you know, it can get you premium studio talent. You know, there's a lot of different things it can do for you. You know, I'm a Mets fan, right? Like, we sit, we watch the games, we watch a lot of pregames, a lot of postgames, especially when they win. You know, it, it, that kind of stuff can be elevated. And the Mets do a great job, but a lot of that is Gary, yeah. Keith, and Ron. I do think the production for the games is good. They do a great job. But the studio stuff, that studio in New York, that kind of content can be elevated with more money where you can see more team-based content come out of the Mets. And it's something that, listen, marketing and those things, you'll notice the difference over time. You might not notice it next season, but over the years, you'll see the Mets operate like a big market powerhouse club in not just getting players, not just extending their own players, not just hiring GMs, but you know things around the stadium things when you're sitting at home watching the game if he owns the network it's you know i know we it almost sounds like hyperbole at times but this is this is crazy how much it matters and how much it can literally turn a franchise upside down that desperately needed a cash infusion yeah and steve cohen's gotta hire people to do this stuff right i mean Steve yeah, Cohen, guy just he, making every a, decision. Yeah, he's a smart guy, and he, he has a lot of money. But I, no offense, Steve, I'm willing to bet you probably don't know how to run a regional sports network. Like I, I don't, I doubt you're much in the in the way of TV. If you are, um, I apologize sincerely. But he's going to hire people to do things, and kind of trickling off of that, I really wanted to make sure I brought it up on the show today. Did you see the? I didn't know Steve Cohen was making quotes, but did you see the quote from the Joel Sherman article that he made? What was it the one that was like two lines? Yeah, where he said I think it would be premature to talk about yes. management decisions. But let me be clear, which to me I took as a subtle jab at Jeff, to be honest. To be clear, the baseball operations will be run by baseball people. And let me tell you, that is music to my ears. That's chef's chef's kiss. You know, that's all that's all I want. I want an owner that has the pockets to spend in New York on everything related to analytics, scouting, major league payroll, all that stuff. Check. Steve Cohen, big green check mark. Now if you tell me he's also going to hire really good baseball people and <gasps> let them do their job? God. Like Oh my God, that this is this is too good to be true. Like, but that's how Steve Cohen. You know, we've talked about this over the last few weeks here. That's what Steve Cohen has always done. He's willing to bring in people and let them do their job. So I have no reason to think. And that quote sort of, you know, it's just a quote, but verifies at least a little bit of the idea that Steve Cohen's not coming in to be George Steinbrenner, who basically just overrode everything. He's coming in to be the wealthy owner, and I'm sure he's going to be involved in major decisions, as is his right as the owner. But 
ultimately, he's going to hire smart baseball people and let smart baseball people make smart baseball moves. And what more can you ask for? And on that positive note, we will close the show. So thank you so much, everyone, for sending in some great questions today. Uh, next week, we will, uh, we will be wrapping up the Mets season. Hopefully, Jacob DeGrom can try to pull off. Uh, it would be a little bit of a, a surprise at this point, but try to pull off that third Cy Young in a row in another marvelous season for him. And me and Joe will be back to discuss just about everything in the Mets universe. Thanks so much, guys. Catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.